When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Let's talk about this in more detail now with the former Director General of the CBI, the Confederation of British Industry, Lord Digby Jones. Good morning to you, Digby. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, what, morning did you, what did you make of what Rishi Sunak had to say? Was it, to some people on the Labour side, saying too little, too late? Was it just right? Or uh, is it actually preserving too many jobs that should go? Where do you stand? Well, well, I, I not only listened to him, but I also then listened to Annalisa Dodds, the Shadow Chancellor. And what I what I didn't understand about I wish they'd take the politics out of this. I wish they'd take the tribalism out of this. And I wish they'd say, look, this is a national crisis. And the one reason it had to happen now was that furlough was ending next week. And I, as you know, chair half a dozen companies, big ones, small ones. And we had this debate last week in nearly all our boardrooms, which was... um, Next week, we've got furlough ending. Well, no, it's the end, end of October, not the end of September. But I think the, the redundancy notices will have to go out at yeah, the end of I'm, next I'm week. I'm so sorry. Yeah, you're, yeah. No, no, you're, you're right to correct me. Uh, uh, we had to make the decision by next yeah. week so that redundancy notices could go out and, and we could comply to make them effective by the end of October when the furlough scheme ends. You're quite right. But the decision, the, the D-day for us was next week. Yeah. And, and so we were in a cleft, all of us were, in all our different companies, which was that, You've got people who are on furlough. You're facing two sorts of unemployment. And the nation, and indeed the Western world, is facing two sorts of unemployment. One is demand-driven. It is actually, as the economy recovers, and by the way, the economy is recovering at an incredibly quick rate at the moment. It's just that you'll never, ever hear it on on, uh, various media. You won't hear it from politicians of a different persuasion. You won't read it in newspapers. Why? Because it's good news. But at the end of the day, the economy is coming back. Now, that sort of unemployment will go away. People will come into work because it's demand driven. You need the jobs, especially, by the way, in hospitality and whatever. The other sort of unemployment is what I would call structural unemployment, where over the last six months, we as employers have learned different ways to do things. And we don't need as many people to do them. And those jobs have gone forever. Yeah. Now, that is where government effort should be in the medium to long term. That's why I'm glad he's postponed the budget so that he can think strategically long term as to how he deals with that. Announce it next March, because that means retraining. It means relocation. It means different sorts of jobs for people. But the demand driven one, we had the problem last week where you sit there and think, well, actually, I, I, these people are furlough. I don't actually want to make them redundant because I know it's going to come back. But the problem is 
I haven't got all the work for him now. And so what he did yesterday was first class, because what he did was say, actually, you bring him back for sort of like a third, a bit more than a third. You pay him for that, we'll pay the difference. And then I can tell you now, over the winter, that third will become a half. The government, you and me, the taxpayers' money will go down. And then eventually we'll get to a point next spring where we've kept our workforce that were yeah. in demand-driven unemployment. And, and, and this is the key, isn't it? Although, again, it, it looked like at first that it would be the uh, the taxpayer, the government, that would be paying uh, for the extra wages. But then it, then it emerged that the employer would be paying 50% of the wage for a third of the work, and the employee gets 70% of the wages. Again, this is very complicated, folks. Uh, the max being paid uh, by the the taxpayer is 22%. But again, it still may be the difference between you know okay, having well, a job yeah. going or, or not going. But this key thing uh, here is... Talking to the small business people yesterday, the message that I got was there is actually a trade-off. There's a cost of, if you're getting rid of people now, there's a cost of making people redundant. You know, there's, you have to pay, no, say, three months wages and the like. Uh, there's and, a cost then you, of, re- so one, one second, one second. Skilled. You lose the skills, but also the cost of then when you do come up, you get the businesses again, you have to then recruit people. That costs money, you're paying agencies and the like. And then you've got to retrain people. So that this may be the difference between, you know, weighing up those costs long-term, getting rid of people or keeping them on. Spot on. That, that, that's, that is absolutely right. People sadly think that employers just say, right, that's 100 out of work. Or yeah. We do not. You know, we do not. These people cost money. They're our assets. They're the best asset we can have. We've, we've trained them. I've always said to small businesses, when they go, oh, you train them and they leave you and go and work somewhere else. I say, well, it's better that you actually um, train them up and they go than you, you keep them here and, they, and you don't skill them up and they stay. <laughs> Point, so, yes. you know, at the end of the day, we want them to stay and work because we've trained them. And by the way, to pick up the other part of, you know, what does business need out of this week? All these students are moaning about being kept in in Scotland. They can't go home. And in England, they've got to stay on their campus. If they hadn't been so selfish at the start of this, if they hadn't started saying when they went back to uni, ah, oh, it's OK, it's, it's granny's disease. It's nothing to do with us. We're going to break the rules. We're going to have our house parties. Well, you're paying the price, girls and boys. And and business does not need students to think that they're different to the rest of society. Business cannot afford. And if business can't afford it, jobs go and tax doesn't get paid, which means that you can't build schools and hospitals. Students have a responsibility to society right now to ensure that we can carry on making profit so that we can pay tax. And so that granny doesn't die. Well, again, I, see, I'm going to disagree with you on that. And I want people to be responsible and everyone needs to obey the rules. And just because you're a student doesn't mean you don't have to obey the same rules you and I are, are, are obeying. Um, although they are at virtually no risk whatsoever. I mean, we are looking at 124 positive cases at a Glasgow campus, um, 600 forced to self-isolate. No, no evidence yet of anybody needing to even go and call 111 or, or go to their GP, let alone be hospitalised or, or die. Um, it, is, it is the case that someone could have actually been I look people get we see people in the government testing positive for COVID are we assuming they've been irresponsible it may well have been someone who wasn't irresponsible they may have caught it on the train on the way there and then they pass it to other people Uh, we we do it there's an awful lot of blaming of young people going on at the moment no way come on no way how do you know how it got passed around I I, I admire advocacy Julia but you're wrong why how do you know that how do you know how they got the virus I, I, I don't care whether they're 19 or 90 if you put 40 people in a room, usually hot and sweaty and all the rest of it. Oh, they were happy days. You, but yes, exactly. As I said it, I thought I can remember that. 
if you if you put those in a room, statistically, you'll get coronavirus in it, whether you're ninety or nineteen. You won't so actually. Statistically, attacking, you won't. I am actually. not attacking them because I'm not attacking them because they're young. I'm attacking them because they're breaking the rules. I don't care how old they are. For instance, you've got certain communities in this country that actually get into houses and and have big house parties rather than go to restaurants, and that's exactly the same. You know, I don't care about people's age or the colour of skin or their religion. I couldn't care where they live. I just want them to obey the rules because they're not there to make governments unpopular. They're there so that the country can carry on operating in the way that in your intro you said, you know, we all thought, let's get back to normality. Yeah, okay. Well, we're trying hard to do so. Well, I mean, again, I don't think the government's trying very hard. Let me just ask you just fine, if we could keep it brief, because I'm, I'm over time, but I want to ask you specifically about the, the pub curfew, the restaurant curfew. 10pm, it hit across uh, the country last night. Uh, lots of photographs of people, you know, all out getting public transport together, all being kicked out. A lot of people just going back to people's homes, breaking the rules. Yeah, okay, they're breaking the rules, but, you know, I'm not in a position to police those people, but we're in a bit more of a position to police people when they are out and about, when in licensed premises do you think that 10 p.m curfew is a good idea or a bad idea i I'm, from the hospitality point of view i don't think it actually matters that much in restaurants i don't think the restaurant industry will suffer at all i think the pub sector will and do i think that that will actually do what i've just been going on about which is getting us back to normality i'd like to see the stats before a comment i don't know let's see a month's worth of this to see whether it makes a difference okay. i have my doubts for the reasons you just said i have my doubts i think you might be right okay. but i'd like to see a month's stats first. yeah it would be nice if the government had perhaps done some research on it before they made the decision which apparently they did not do uh, always such a pleasure to talk to you lord digby jones former director general of the cbi uh, thank you very much indeed a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW. 
Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Let's uh, talk to my next guest now. She's a former Economic Secretary of the Treasury and former Culture Secretary and uh, being tipped possibly as a future boss of the BBC. Baroness Nikki Morgan joins us. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. We may come to the BBC a little bit later. First of all, let's talk about more important things, people's livelihoods and people's lives. Um, Rishi Sunak's uh, jobs plan yesterday, a jobs support scheme, long-awaited criticism from Labour, you know, that they'd waited far too long to hear from it. Um, It was more support uh, for employers and employees, but nothing like what we've seen from the furlough scheme. Just to give an idea in terms of the different scale of help, the uh, furlough scheme has cost £6 billion a month. This scheme will cost £300 million a month, which is a massive pulling away of help uh, for jobs. Do you think he's done enough to stave off huge, huge, huge joblessness? Well, I think what Rishi's done is to reflect the realities of the situation, both in terms of, uh, as you say, the the massive numbers from the the furlough scheme, uh, but the fact that we're in a different position from... uh, In March, I think people had expected there would be some restrictions, lockdown for a matter of months, and then as we saw... Uh, the economy would uh, hopefully start to recover and people could go go back to work. We now know, of course, that it's going to take longer to uh, stop the the spread of the virus, to to suppress it, and we've got longer to wait until potentially we get a vaccine. And I think Rishi's done the right thing, which is to say we can't carry on paying these eye-watering sums that have implications for all of us, for the future, the taxes we're going to pay, the public debt, uh, the amount that the government is having to, to borrow. And we know that the economy has been permanently changed by the virus restrictions. We're all living our lives more online, for example. So obviously what's happening in retail, the hospitality is changing. There are some sectors that just can't go back to work in the normal way. And he's right to say that actually we do now need to recognise that to support those jobs uh, where actually hours are still being worked, but to say to to employers and to businesses, look, let's work together to realise that some jobs aren't going to be, uh, in his words, viable. Uh, Actually, how do we help to transition to, to, to new employment. So I think it, you know, it is right. I don't think it was late. Um, I think it's an unfair criticism because I think we had all hoped uh, that we wouldn't need to impose these new restrictions. Winter would look different. But, you know, this is the situation we are in with this virus. Indeed, he was very keen to talk about viable jobs and saying he couldn't save every job. But I thought what was really interesting when he said this, our lives can no longer be put on hold. We have spoken so often about this virus in terms of lives lost, but the price our country is paying is wider than that. We need to bear all of those costs in mind. And then later we must learn to live with it and live without fear. That was a strikingly different message and strikingly different tone than from what we've heard from Boris Johnson earlier in the week when he gave his uh, statement to the Commons and his address to the nation and indeed what we heard from Chris Whitty and Patrick Valance. And we know that in Cabinet there is something of a rift, the likes of Rishi Sunak and the Business Secretary Alex Sharma uh, saying that we really should not be having things like 10pm curfews on pubs and restaurants, shouldn't be telling people to go back and work uh, from home. Um, There is definitely a rift and we know there's something of a rift brewing in the Conservative Party on the back benches as well over these emergency powers and the and the and the, the the route being taken how dangerous is this for the government to have this division well i think there's always going to be um differences of views between ministers at the end of the day you know depending on the brief that you hold um you know you are there to represent obviously um uh, your stakeholders um so you know for example uh, in my former role culture secretary and oliver 
Dowden is doing you know, a, a really a good job in very difficult circumstances because a couple of the sectors that he looks after, particularly sports and, and arts, for example, um, have been massively affected. Uh, and they're the things that make our lives um, enjoyable. And yet, you know, people want to go back to sporting sports matches and they can't. It's the same with you know, Alloc in business and, and Rishi in the Treasury. Uh, they rightly are saying, well, hang on, these are the messages we're getting from the people we work with. But then the government comes to a collective uh, position and, and the cabinet is stronger with people putting forward uh, different views and then coming to a, a collective view. And I think the role of you know, chancellor and prime minister, they are, they are different. The prime minister has to think about you know, all of the messaging that he's getting, all of the advice from the scientists and try to provide that reassuring tone, which I think he did very well in the address on Tuesday night. Um, and uh, in, in terms of the of his lives being put on hold, what do you make of the decision in Scotland to tell students that they have to basically not just self-isolate, but not be allowed to go into bars and pubs and, and restaurants and uh, in, in the in the in, in cities to stay on mm. their campus? Uh, basically, many of them isolated to their rooms, and that they can't go home to parents at the weekend, uh, and probably not for Christmas either. We're effectively going to be keeping students prisoner uh, on campuses for the next few months. This information coming out. Just after students have gone back rather than before, even though a lot of their lectures are going to be online, perhaps they could have stayed at home anyway. Um, Matt Hancock, the health secretary, has refused to rule out this happening in England. What do you make of that policy? Is that is that even a viable policy in a free country? Well, I mean, I think that goes to the, the heart of the debate. And you mentioned that um, some of my former colleagues on the um, conservative benches obviously have um, uh, you know misgivings about how uh, the regulations are being passed and the powers of, of Parliament. I, mean, I certainly think it's something that should be subject to public scrutiny and uh, debate. I mean, it's really difficult. I really feel for those uh, those students. I'm sitting here in Loughborough. We've got students returning to Loughborough University uh, in the next uh, few days. Many of them are already back. Um, and it's, it's really difficult, again, trying to find that balance between um, making sure that they get a university experience, that they're living on uh, in halls of, of residence, that they're able to mix with each other, but also making sure that, as we as we know, um, that that age group has been, you know, particularly where the virus has been spreading, so that they're not then transferring it to uh, older family members, to uh, people living in the town. It's trying to find that um, that balance, and and I think um, whether it's long term viable, um, I'm not sure, but I think it's probably right, particularly when you know, I think it's the case of Aberdeen University, that there is a major outbreak of the virus going on. I suspect that people in the nearby town, the city are reassured by the fact that they're not going to have lots of students, you know, in their in their town while the outbreak's happening. I, mean, I think one can understand that for a few weeks. I think uh, given this, the 24th of September, we've got quite a long way to go to December, telling yeah. young, youngsters, often perhaps away from home for the very first time in their lives, sorry, you can't see mum and dad uh, until, frankly... When, if you're not allowed home at Christmas, when are they going to go home next Easter? Um, for, for a lot of 18 year olds, I mean, you know, I'm thinking, you know, some may be delighted. They've got an excuse to carry on partying. They'll think, but actually, <laughs> I think for an awful lot, this is going to be devastating, isn't it? Yes. I mean, look, it will be. I, I think it's a very difficult time to to, to start university. Um, and the, 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 you know, any of us who've, who've been there, you know, the freshers week, meet, meeting people, uh, mixing, uh, meeting people, you know, all of that is mixing. Really, really... Is that what we're calling it now? Say it again? Mixing. Is that what we're calling it now? <laughs> well, I think mingling is, is the word, isn't it? <laughs> the, which we're not allowed to, to do anymore if we happen to bump into to friends in a pub or something like that. So, um, look, I think this, this whole virus has thrown up the most extraordinary challenges. I'm on a House of Lords committee called Life Beyond COVID. And I have to say, seeing that life beyond COVID at the moment is quite difficult. 
But I mean, I think there will be, there have been some, some big changes. But the thing we have all realized is we are social beings. We need that social contact. It's the one thing that the virus makes incredibly difficult. Um, and sometimes the Prime Minister said, even sounds a death knell for somebody else. And that's why we have to accept these restrictions. Okay. But they have to be for a period of time. Right, just finally and briefly, you've been tipped as a possible uh, candidate for to be the next chair of the BBC. Um, if you did get the job, um, what changes would you make? <laughs> well, strangely enough, I'm not going to do uh, any kind of uh, interview here. Well, I look, I think that um, uh, the BBC is a fantastic uh, institution. Uh, I have no idea who the next chair is going to going to be. Uh, but I do hear the criticism of people who say that actually um, they're not necessarily uh, getting from the BBC everything that they that they want. It has to represent all uh, corners of our nation. Um, and I think one of the things the BBC does need to think about is how many people are switching to subscription services over and above watching uh, the BBC. And I think that the moves that Tim Davies, the new director general, are making to, to reflect some of that, those criticisms, is absolutely right. OK, thank you very much. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Right now, let's talk to uh, Labour MP, Shadow Business and Consumer Affairs Minister Lucy Powell, who joins us. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Well, a very important week this week, very important day yesterday for an awful lot of employers and employees as we saw the launch of the uh, uh, the economy, uh, the winter economy plan as it was billed and specifically the job support scheme. Other measures, of course, uh, in there yesterday announced by the Chancellor Rishi Sunak to help uh, in, in various businesses and employers. But crucially, we saw this support scheme where we'd see uh, employee working a third of their hours or more, the employer paying third on top, the government paying uh, a third, employee getting gets basically paid for more hours than they do, but the employer gets some help from the uh, the the, uh, the Chancellor. Um, do you think these measures go far enough, too far, or are they just right? Well, I'm pleased that the government and the Chancellor have finally accepted the principle that something more needed to be done once the furlough scheme came to an end to, to avoid, I think, you know, what could be large-scale mass redundancies across the economy over coming weeks and months if they hadn't done something. So I welcome that. But I fear that the design of this scheme uh, won't do enough to abate those uh, large-scale redundancies that, that we might be seeing because the, the incentive to the employer is, is not a particularly good one as, as designed by this scheme. So the employer would be paying essentially 55% for someone to work a third of their, of their hours. Um, and it would be cheaper for an employer to keep uh, a full-time, say on average wage, uh, one full-time member of staff on, than it would be quite a bit cheaper than to keep two half-time employees on. So, uh, you know, I, I think, as I say, I'm, I'm pleased that they, they've now accepted the principle that something needed to be, to be done. Um, and that was important for the country and for the tax base that we keep people in work where we can. Um, but the design of the scheme, I fear, just just won't be sufficient to rise to the challenge. And this is the thing. This is a markedly different uh, level of support that we've seen. At the beginning of the, the furlough scheme, we were looking at you know, 9, 10 million people on that furlough scheme, £6 billion per calendar month cost to the taxpayer. This scheme, uh, we're looking at £300 million cost per, uh, over each month. I mean, that is that is the different scale we're looking at. And, and, and I, like you, have heard from many uh, particularly smaller employers saying, 
as you say, um, I may as well just keep one person on full time and, and, and it will be cheaper for me. The only issue there is whether they want to then recruit people in the future and have to train people up and want to keep people on. So it'll be a different uh, measure. Do you think this was about Rishi Sunak, um, whether or not there's there's playing game playing going on within government and there is a power uh, a, a power battle going on in terms of, uh, of Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson or not? Who knows? But but actually, it was a message to the wider world and to, 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 to the voters that there is going to be a huge cost to this. And if we're all going to go back into our homes and work from home and we're all going to go home at 10 p.m. Uh, from the pubs and the restaurants, there will be a huge financial and jobs price to pay, which a lot of people don't seem to have quite got to grips with. Do you think that actually we should be paying more attention to the huge economic cost, as he told us to, uh, rather than just to uh, the number of deaths every single day? Well, look, it's a balance, isn't it? And I think, you know, the government, to be fair, you know, they've been trying, they've been trying to sort of get that 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 balance right. And it's a it's a very difficult um, balance to, to get right. I think having really effective test, track and trace, though, it is at the heart of, of, of trying to get that balance a bit better. I think the absence of that at the moment has meant that we are having to rely on on these ever um, draconian blunt um, tools in order to keep to keep the spread of the virus at bay and um, you know that really is a, a, a problem I'm, I'm afraid that the government just hasn't got on top of and they promised us a world beating test track and trace and, and that just isn't what we have at the moment so if it's taking a week or more to get tests back then obviously that's going to have an impact on people's ability to work and the economy you know if, they, if there isn't that confidence there in the system that's going to have a knock-on uh, economic consequence as well. So it, it is a balance. We've got to get that that balance right. But we also have to remember that there are some sectors that are still completely closed altogether. And you know, our job is to is to stand behind some of those uh, businesses and jobs to make sure that that when we do come out the other side. People have got have got good decent work to, to go back to. Well, indeed, I mean, again, there's no extra help for a lot of people who are self-employed, or indeed, so uh, lots of you know the arts world, which is still completely shut down, and indeed, many of those jobs in hospitality and tourism, aviation, travel, that simply are going to disappear right now. Let, let's focus though on the on the testing figures, uh, the track and trace. Uh, Twelve billion pounds it's costing us, uh, more than four hundred pounds for every single household in this country, um, and uh, it, we're looking at only ten percent of tests coming back within twenty four hours. We're told this is a lack of lab capacity and a real massive boost in demand, particularly after children went back to school. Uh, but only when people are getting test results back. Now, I've been raising a lot of the concerns of people like Professor Carl Hennigan and others about how reliable these tests are and that a huge number of false positives may be involved. Uh, the government has yet to rebut this, I have to say. Um, but only 18% of people who are getting a positive test are self-isolating. And of people who are contacted who know someone who's got a positive test, only 11% are self-isolating. Um, is there any point us spending twelve billion pounds on a track and trace system if so few people are actually uh, uh, taking themselves out of society uh, to protect others? Uh, there's only any point having the tests if people are then going to self-isolate. Otherwise, there's no point spending that money at all, is there? Well, well, I mean, there's a, we'll have to look back in time and see whether the money was was well spent. But what what I personally believe is that if there was a lot of confidence in that system, so tests were turned around really quickly, you weren't being asked to sort of self-isolate just because you couldn't get a test back, which is what is happening 
uh, in a lot of cases. If um, if the, the the track and trace sort of app and system, you know, you felt was was working well, so that it was tracking and tracing the right people, not just somebody who you maybe you know uh, sat alongside a, a car on the road with or something like that. Then I, I think people would adhere to it much much better. We have, I mean, I'm here in Manchester, and we've seen in Manchester over the summer, you know, loads of different mixed messages about what we are able to do, what we aren't able to do, and the the, the loss of confidence in the testing system uh, as well. So we've got to get confidence into the system. Everyone needs to buy into that and be part of it because at the end of the day, we're only going to be able to combat this virus because everyone's pulling together and everyone is voluntarily going along um, with, with what they need to do, but they've got the financial support underpinning that to make sure that they can. Because I think the other thing you're seeing from those figures, and that's definitely the picture here in Greater Manchester, is that people, lots of people who are contacted by the tracking um, service are not in a position to self-isolate. Uh, they perhaps a taxi driver, work in the restaurant or hotel business or something like that, and they have to go to work in order to get paid. They can't, haven't got the luxury of working from home. They've got dependent children. They've got no safety net there. Um, and they can't afford not to go to work. So we've, we've finally belatedly seen this extra support for people to self-isolate. But again, is that enough? OK, well, we'll be putting a lot of those questions to a guest throughout the show. I'd love to speak to you, Labour MP, Shadow Business Minister Lucy Powell. Thank you for that. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odour control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.